This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths. Enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. In order to become the best version of yourself, you must begin here. Neither your parents nor your friends are to blame, nor is it the economy's fault. They are nothing more than excuses. The time has come for you to admit that you are the problem. If you don't, it will be at your own peril. It is said, be the change you want to see in the world. Valeria interviews Jivan Matharu. He is the author of Become a Person of Value, Jivan Matharu is a 32-year-old author and transformational coach, as well as a financial advisor, retirement planner. As a financial advisor, Jivan was in the Times newspaper for one of the top advisors in 2021. He is currently ranked as the 16th top player in the UK for weight U73kg in judo, as well as being in the GB Masters Squad Veterans. Jivan is also a member of Mensa, which means an IQ in the top 2%. He was, however, expelled from a private school for poor behavior. He has acquired qualifications in life coaching, psychology, and counseling. Jivan likes to learn, and he is constantly learning about interesting ideas and topics. Outside of this research, he enjoys hiking, scrambling, and walking the dog. He loves philosophy and enjoys reading about Stoicism. Jivan likes to ask himself the big questions and loves deep, interesting conversations. He can speak competently about many topics. He also writes on Quora with almost 20,000 views. We as individuals need to ensure that we maximize our potential by mastering our minds. We also need to ask ourselves the right questions. Jivan is currently writing a second book, which will be a journal with guided daily questions. You will be able to analyze yourself and plan your life out while becoming your best self. Meet Javon at vanquish-transformational-coaching.com. Here's the interview with Javon Matharu. In your own words, who is... Jivan Mathru. <laughs> oh, well, I love this question because I think there's there's really two parts. There is the, this is what I do for a living. So that's a transformational coach, an author, retirement planner. Outside of work, I, I'm a judoka. So that's judo, the martial art. I like hiking, etc. But I think there's more to that question than, than meets the eye because I think that for each and every one of us, there is something that we're here to to deliver. And if we go back through sort of my story I was kicked out of school um, I had a, a bit of a bad attitude let's say when I was younger and I think that I'm I'm here now to to try and explain that it's not just about intellect because you know I'm a member of Mensa uh, someone who's got 
uh, an IQ within the top 2%. But what I've learned and what the messages I'm trying to put across is we need to develop ourselves as individuals. And that's what I feel that I am. You know, I'm someone here who is going to deliver that message because there are many areas that we need to improve on to become our best self. And that is from spirituality to, to physicality and everything in between. So I think that who I am is someone who is here to help others become their best self. I hope that <laughs> answered your question in a roundabout way. Yes, I love that answer, especially the last part of your answer about helping others. And that's a, an answer that I often get when I ask the question about the purpose of the human experience. It always goes back to that. I'll put that aside for a moment. I do have a question for you about purpose too. What is your idea of being this best self? What is to be a the best self that we can be? What is the vision that you have in mind? Okay, well, I, I think there's two parts to that as well. I think that there is general areas that we need to be our best in. So that's, for example, physical. You know, if you're 20 stone and overweight, you aren't in your ideal physical being. So that's a what I would call a general area. Again, communication skills, you know, are you someone who can actually speak correctly? And if not, how can you go about improving on that area? Are you someone who understands your own mentality and psychology? Are you someone who can set goals? Are you someone who can motivate yourself? So I think that they're very general areas that everyone can tap into. Above that, I think that there's specific areas. So as a person, as an individual, what traits, what characteristics do you have that you need to master in order to be specialist in a particular area? So, you know, if you're going to be a sportsman, for example, a sprinter, do you have the physical attributes that allow for you to be a sprinter? Do you have the dedication and interest? Because there's, it's all well and good being good at something and there's, it's all well and good being passionate about something. But are you good at something and passionate about something? Because if that's the case, you are, as you said, the word purpose, you then have a purpose of that being your primary objective and your primary area to aim towards. So I feel that you should have two key directions. One is your general self, as we've said, you know, making sure that you're uh, up to scratch in areas such as physicality, spirituality, etc. But also niching down into a, a specific area where you can deliver a fantastic service or product to the world. Because, you know, people have this limiting belief that, you know, to be rich, you have to be cruel, you know, you have to take advantage of people. But that's just not correct. Because, most of the people who are super wealthy, and there might be some uh, uh, exceptions to the rule, but they have delivered massive value, whether that's Amazon delivering products to your house next day for a good value, or whether it's, you know, Microsoft does packages, you know, we're on Skype at the moment, someone created that, there's a value there. And obviously, the money follows. So I think it's important for us to establish what the value is we're going to bring, and then we'll find that the the, the monetary and financial rewards will follow that uh, um, after we've established and can deliver a positive uh, a positive service product or something in between. Right. Yeah, it's um, interesting to listen to you describing all these areas, individual, personal areas of our lives. And also the idea of expanding into the business world and in the sense of relationships and then uh, making a living out of what we do and specializing in those things. A question that comes to mind is related to that. It seems to me that we are looking 
to be happy, right? It doesn't matter where that happiness comes from. It's really about, that's the goal I feel. And it seems to be true for most of us when we, when we really go deeper into it. It's all about being happy, which I associated to um, inner peace. To me, inner peace brings me happiness and satisfaction. Do you feel or have you explored the possibility of happiness beyond the realm of physicality, mentality, and all that? Almost like not detached from body-mind, but beyond them. So I think what you're referring to is inner contentment. Um, So I feel that as individuals, we don't necessarily have short-term happiness unless it's for instant gratification, as an example, as our primary objective. You know, we do chase dopamine, but I don't think that's a healthy, healthy relationship. I think what you're referring to is acting in a way that's going to ensure long-term happiness. So as an example, you know, you might be going through, going out on dates and trying to build a relationship for long-term happiness of a family with a house and a loving uh, Christmas time and and birthdays, et cetera. So I think that it's a long-term happiness uh, uh, perspective that we're after. And in order to gain that, sometimes we have to go through short-term pain. So using an example of a professional boxer, he goes through short-term pain of getting hit in the face, going through exercise regimes that put him close to tears his body's going through pain his soul is going through pain actually because that's an emotional connection but what he's after is long-term happiness and long-term contentment in terms of what he's achieved and inner peace can come sometimes you know i've I've interviewed people on on my podcast as well who have gone through injuries and and um, and lost limbs and become disabled and they say sometimes that's the best thing that's happened to them and sometimes that can come from expectation you know, they, their expectation is now different than it was previously, and that allows for inner contentment. And and can that be that that comes from doing what you're meant to do? Can it be that you're giving something to the world without wanting anything in return? Could that be you being de- depended on and providing for others? Um, can it be that you're giving a message? Because there's many ways that ourselves as individuals feel, as you said, happiness. And as I said, I think it's a a long-term contentment and inner peace that we're after. And sometimes we have to actually go through a lot of pain in order to get there. I mean, we talked off air, didn't we, briefly about my book? And that was a a painful experience to an extent where you're having to put in a lot of hours writing a book, editing it, reading the same thing over and over again. But now I've got a contentment with the, the, the book that I've written and happy that it's out there and people are reading it and actually it's helped change some people's life, which is fantastic. So, yeah, I, I, it, to sum up you know, your question, I think that it's a long-term happiness approach that we're after, and that sometimes means actually delaying gratification in the short term, um, so not immediate happiness-seeking, let's say. So hopefully that uh, makes sense. Yeah, I know you speak yeah, about this uh, gratification in your book, and I read the section too, but what I was referring to, maybe I didn't explain, that well, I was not um, clear about that. It's really rather than long-term happiness. It's actually what I speak of is ever-present happiness. It, that's always something that's always here that we often miss and dismiss, which is the fact that we are alive. That there's something that's conscious here and aware that we exist and all everything around us exists. And so that gives me a sense of. Um, 
connectivity and gratitude. And also that sense, that idea that we have of happiness kind of arises to this lightness. So it's more, it sounds like very spiritual and out there idea, but it's, um, it's actually very obvious when we kind of do introspective work, inner work in meditation. It's so easy to see that, it's so clear, it's incredible. And a lot of times we only get a glimpse of that because it requires practices. We need to keep going beyond uh, what we see, what we think is real or is the only thing that exists, which is these ideas of doing something to be happy. In order to be happy, I need to be this. I needed to look in a certain way. I have to have, have this house, this relationship, money and all that. So going beyond all that, there is this sense of um, ever-present happiness. That's what I spoke, I, I'm trying to convey, I guess, uh, Javon. Does it make sense to you somehow? <laughs> it, it, it does, yeah. I think that that comes from living in the present, doesn't it? As you said, yes. being ever mm. present. Because if, if you live in the past, you are depressed. If you live in the future, you are anxious. And if you live in the present, you are, you know, that's a present, isn't it? It's a gift. And I think, as you said, you know, the connection to source, um, understanding that it's a journey that's important and not just a destination and to actually show gratitude and appreciate everything in your life. Because if you're not present, it's very difficult really to give yourself to the world, isn't it? If you're someone who's living in a different, um, uh, a different sort of time zone, let's say, it's difficult to actually appreciate the smaller things in life. And I think that if we talk about resonance for a second and, and vibrational states, if you are in a good vibrational state, what you'll tend to find is that you're in the present, you are enjoying yourself regardless of what that is. And you understand, as you said, a deep connection to the universe, to source, to God, whatever you want to refer to to it as. I feel that those words are synonymous. And it, it comes from like an inner peace. You know, if you, if you look at um, Sadhguru or someone like that, um, they seem to have that, that inner peace because they are in a good mind frame and ask themselves questions which can reprogram their thought process to give themselves that observational uh, perspective, let's say. Does that, does that make sense? It really does. And that's, it kind of makes sense to us from the human experience because from the idea of time and space, it kind of makes sense because then we're talking about the now and the present, but that's within the context of time still because we are assuming here that there is a past and future, which doesn't really, it's a construct. But it's very practical, it seems to me, for this reality it, that we kind of carry on those constructed ideas. But it's almost beyond all that, too, even beyond the idea, the concept of present, of being present. It's just a sense of of being here. And in the here, it's not a space, it's not a place either. It's freedom in itself, just to give you an example, I remember having this, uh, I have many, I had many, many, many uh, mystical experiences and deep insights into the nature of reality. And that's why I do a lot of the spiritual studies and practices that I do, which I have not mentioned here, but I, I often mention on every podcast, every conversation. But I remember looking at myself in the mirror and asking, who are you? And I just looked at it. <laughs> and then the answer was, there's no you, there's just here, and here is everywhere. That kind of stopped me there. And yeah, there's no you, only here, and here's everywhere. Which means, for me, I translated into freedom itself. 
So this is freedom. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, it's like it's like it's like your first question, isn't it? You know, you asked me, you know, who are you? Right. And I yeah. sort of did give a two part answer, saying, well, actually, if you want to just look at accomplishments and what I do for a living, that's one thing. But who am I beyond that? And um, as you said, it's not a case of time; it's a case of state. So, uh, presence is a state. It's not relation. It's not relative to time. Mm, it's mm. a state that you're in that feels different, doesn't it? You know, everyone gets inside their own head uh, at some points, but you tend to know from seeing someone their aura as to whether they are in a, a good place or not. I mean, you can't always tell, you know, some people are very good at masking it, but I, I tend to feel that you can tend to see if someone is someone of a spiritual nature, regardless of religion um, or if they're religious at all, if they are someone who is in touch with their spiritual self, and as you said, if they are asking themselves the deep questions, trying to understand philosoph- uh, f- philosophical insights, let's say, then I feel that you can tell them people apart from those that are on the hamster wheel that live in a very materialistic world. Um, and I think that there's two very different, as you refer to, human experiences there within those two realms, um, because there is two sides to the world there is a physical side and there is what sort of refer to with the, as the metaphysical side and even if you look at science like quantum physics that does sort of tend to explain that to an extent nowadays that it didn't do in the past um, and it actually promotes and falls in line with the spiritual teachings of, of, of old art, I feel. So it's kind of interesting to kind of contemplate the nature of existence when we have that glimpse, then we see, we not just kind of appreciate what exists, but existence itself, which is almost like the eye seeing itself. That's what it is, really, because the eyes can't see themselves, right? We can't, only when you look yeah. in the mirror, but that's a reflection anyway. Yeah, exactly. And um, you mentioned a couple of things there in terms of nature um, and also, you know, sort of implied adaptability um, and everything adapts and everything changes and I think the stoic phrase is something along the lines of uh, the change is nature's delight because mm, everything yeah. changes we, we adapt as you mentioned going through different states we go through a journey don't we and you know I know you said that time is um, is is not it's a construct but it's, if we look at it in the physical sense you five years ago a completely different person than you were mm. today and yes you are the same person but your mm. perspective is different mm. and if you talk about the mirror and you're looking back at yourself that is a perspective in itself um and looking inside without the use of a mirror a physical object you can look inside yourself in an introspective manner with a a, a metaphorical mirror um in, in some respects and Another stoic phrase that I think sums this up quite well is that if a man walks into a river and comes back out, neither the river or the man is the same afterwards. And it goes the same for us as individuals, for every experience that we've had, for every conversation, like the conversation with you, Larry, is going to be, I'm going to be a different person after this conversation. And every river that we step into and come back out of needs the river or yourself is ever the same. And that is what gives us perspective. That is what gives us insight. And that's what helps us to change. And our subconscious absorbs all these things. And you'll know yourself, you get insights, you get ideas, you get told things in dreams, you get told things through other people that 
just res- it resonates with you, doesn't it? You hear something, you think, oh, that's what I was meant to hear. That is what I was meant to hear. And then you hear the same thing a few times in a few days or it keeps popping up. Um, and is that for a reason? Is that the universe trying to give you uh, some information? Is it trying to guide you in the right direction? And when you are in a good spiritual place, you tend to pick up on these things and act accordingly. Um, so I d- definitely agree with you in that, in, in that respect. It's almost like we benefit, yeah, the physical parts and the, the body-mind benefits from that coming from that perspective or that place that's not a place. But when you, you talk about this movement of change, it's not, I feel that it's a movement from ignorance to knowledge. That's what it is. As you mentioned about the body chains, the mind chains, of course, it's always, I was not the same person. I didn't think the same way. I didn't have the same thoughts five years um, before today. In the body, it also, it's, uh, it's that uh, the movement of space and time. Of course, everything here is very practical, so affects the, the body-mind. But from that perspective of consciousness, is really ignorance, from ignorance to knowledge, spiritual knowledge, of course. I have to use that term because it's spirituality basically means changing your perspective from the outside world to your inner world. That's basically what it is. And living from there, which feels so much better in a way, <laughs> I have to say, Javon. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And I don't think that everyone actually goes from ignorant to consciousness, knowledge, understanding, maturity. I don't think that everyone actually gets there. Um, I do think there are some people who are so materialistic that believe so much in just the physical sense of the world um, and they don't actually ever get to that what we refer to as soul evolution um, which obviously is, is one of the spiritual laws um, that dictates that every failure is, is a step to future success and part of your soul evolution I don't think that everyone goes through that and whether it's down to uh, drug abuse whether it's down to uh, peers family friends um, I, I, I your own self being uh, ignorant to, as you said, the word ignorance, ignorant to what's around you. Um, but I don't think that everyone necessarily goes through that process and it's um, that enlightening process. Um, and it's important that everyone at least tries to um, so that they can essentially, as you said, uh, transcend space and time and, and move into that knowledgeable state. And it's uh, just to um, make that note about ignorance, as I said that, it's not Really, an example of that would be, it's kind of going deeper, asking more questions, deeper questions, like um, not accepting reality exactly the way it's presented. So, for example, the sunset, we have this idea, how many of us go see the sunset and we say, oh, how beautiful the sun, just the sun's going down. Well, we know that, uh, or most of us do, that actually we are moving, the earth is moving, not the sun. So it's the opposite. So the sun's not going down. Exactly. Right? So that's, so that's a, a perspective. So you're kind of not accepting what it seems to be real. <laughs> Something that seems to be whatever it is. It's always asking questions. Is that really the truth? You know, what, of what I see, what the eye see, uh, the way I think, the way I understand this reality. Is that really it? That's how we get to move from that ignorance. That's simple. It's simply changing perspective, almost the upside down effect. Let's go from a different perspective. 
like I have um, come across, um, yeah, it's a neuroscientist, Donald Hoffman. He just changed, he came up with this book, The Illusion of Reality. And then he talks about, he specializes in cognitive uh, neuroscience. So it's all about the eyes, vision, and how the body is actually built for survival. So that's all we can see really through the instrument of the body and mind. So it's not really everything, it's a construct. The body is actually navigating a reality that will help its own survival. It's a very key insight into spirituality. So if we look beyond body-mind, there's something there. Yeah, definitely. I think that even if you look at it from a, a physical standpoint, in terms of the news, you know, they portray a story and actually... It, a lot of the time, it's generally the inverse that, that's true. You know, the perspective is different. And again, as you said, you have to ask the right questions that are going to spark the right thought process to generate the right answer. Yes, and right, right. D- depending on the environment we're in, we're in, we focus on different things. If you're a man who's starving, all you're going to focus on is food. You're going to ignore everything else in that regard, and you're going to be a in a laser light focus. So when we're in a contented state, we aren't hungry, we aren't um, in a sexual desire state, we aren't lustful, we aren't, uh, you know, gluttonous, we aren't in the state of sloth. I think that when we are avert from those seven deadly sins, we have a much better perspective. um, And we can get into the subconscious, uh, not subconscious rather, we can get into that spiritual state and get in touch with, um, with, with, with God and source. Because it still baffles me that people think that there is no creator because even if we look at it from a physical standpoint, you are an individual who has fingers, you have limbs, you have a brain, you have circulatory systems. All things do a job. Even the universe, the sun does a job, the earth does a job, nature, the trees have roots and they, the leaves you know, uh, regenerate the compost and all these sorts of things. So if, if, if something as complicated as that, People are saying art isn't designed, but a phone, a car, uh, your house is designed because that is complex. Then I just feel that there is a lack of understanding. And as we've alluded to earlier, ignorance there um, in terms of what reality essentially is, because, you know, we get ideas all the time. Where do these ideas come from? Do they just pop into our head or do they actually come from the the mainframe computer? And we're picking up from, you know, picking up those ideas. If that makes sense. So it's very difficult, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg sort of question, really. <laughs> right, right. Thoughts. That's an interesting also conversation to have. I mean, to explore that what are thoughts, right? And that we are not our thoughts. We are just kind of being thought in a way. It's not really that we are thinking. But have you had some of these deep insights into the nature of self, of reality, Javon, yourself? So, so yeah, I tend to ask myself a lot of questions on a, on a day-to-day basis, really. And, you know, everyone asks the sort of questions, don't they? Why am I here? You know, what I'm here to deliver? You know, what's the meaning of reality and all these sorts of things? And it's really important, I feel, that we spend more time in solitude. Because if you are around people all the time and you are always out socialising and you are always out being distracted – it's very difficult for, as we talked about earlier, if you're in an environment where you're hungry, that's all you're going to focus on. So if you're out and you're socialising and you're drinking, etc., that's all you're, you're only going to focus on those items. You're not going to ask yourself and go inside. So when we spend time in solitude, um, and solitude means 
voluntary isolation as opposed to being isolated forcefully. Um, so when we spend more time alone, and I've noticed this, as I spend more time alone now, I actually get deeper insights and I feel become more like who I actually am as opposed to um, being influenced, even if you're not someone who's easily influenced. Everything has an influence, you know, in terms of your environment, the, the, your parents, the country you're born, your, your siblings, your friends, the news, everything you consume, you know, this podcast, the guests that you have on everything. So if you can control the, the the sort of intake that you get or lack of intake, it gives you a chance to ask yourself deeper questions and spend time trying to digest and understand those questions. Yeah, that's exactly it. Get the answers for yourself. That's has been that journey of mine of asking lots of questions and then getting the answers within too, like listening to the insights and then kind of listening to so many other people, spiritual teachers and scientists, and then getting the same answer from them, same explanation for the one that I got in a different way, different words, but it, the same thing. And then that's when I, I kind of thought to myself, you know, this is what's the best thing to do here in this, in this world, in this body-mind, but just keep uncovering and going deeper into the insights we already have and this confirmation from other people, other human beings who have gone, done the same thing. So it's amazing to see how we just, everything, all the answers that almost anyone in human history has gotten from going deep within or even outside as deep as science has gotten, it's, it comes down to the same thing. As you know, neuroscientists, they do say that the brain, the body creates consciousness, that we are creating everything. But then if you ask them to prove that or explain how it works, they can't. There's an end there. Yeah, there's definitely a dichotomy, isn't there, there? And I think that, you know, as you said, with asking questions, it's something that we have naturally as, as children. We ask our parents, what time are we going to be there? What's this? What does that do? Why is this here? You know, who's that? And I think that school is part of the issue that makes you look stupid or feel stupid for asking questions. And then you comes to a point where you're like, well, I'm not going to ask questions. All I'm going to do is listen to what I'm told and regurgitate that. And that is something that if we look at psychology, um, operant and classical conditioning, you know, operant conditioning, you're being rewarded for for, for something and given a reward Um or you're you're reprimanded for for poor behaviour. So you are sort of called in a way to stop asking questions, listen to what you're told, and regurgitate things. And because of that, many people get out of the habit of of asking questions as they did as kids. And we can learn a lot from kids. You know, they have got that that love for life, that presence, as, you, as we referred to earlier. They don't live in the future or the past. They live now they have that innocence they ask questions they do what they love they um get into flow state and and get deep within you know whether it's playing or or or, or sports or whatever it's going to be they they have that uh depth of 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 uh of of presence um and i think that sometimes we need to go back to that um because we have it essentially it's been trained out of us i mean even if you look at dogs dogs have natural instincts don't they to to to, to bite or whatever but we breed we, we sort of train it out of them to an extent to make them more domesticated 
and you know, to walk on lead and not follow their instinct as, as much because that's essentially what training a dog is, isn't it? It's training them not to be as dog as much. Um, and I think that that's sort of what school has done uh, in a way um, to to stop us getting in the frame of asking ourselves questions and the questions or answers that you get from your questions are not true unless they have been verified by, you know, Dr. Smith, mm, <laughs> let's say. Yeah, right. It's a sad truth. Yeah, I agree, Javon. Right. That we've been trained not to think for ourselves, not to ask those deep questions. And we're not encouraged to answer them ourselves. And then, of course, share them with others and, and, and kind of see, you know, where we are at when it comes to that kind of reality. But uh, it's so true. And I love education, though. Um, and I'm thinking about philosophy here. So thank God philosophy school is different. <laughs> you can just, you're actually encouraged to ask as many questions as you, as you possibly can. So you have written the book titled Become a Person of Value. First, how did you become a writer and what was the main intention of writing this book? So um, sort of alluding to what I said earlier in terms of at school, you know, I was one of the brightest people at school, went to private school, but got thrown out for poor behaviour. And it comes came to a point sort of in my mid-20s when I realised that it's not just about you know being a Ferrari because if you can't drive the Ferrari what, what's the sort of point <laughs> yes. so I thought okay well let's try and understand um, and just to sort of backtrack slightly I was working at a job full-time whereby I was traveling all over the country in the car um, and this was six hours a day driving six hours worth of meetings and to start with I was uh, spending a lot of time listening to music and you end up listening to the same songs over and over again and you think well I've wasted six hours today and I've wasted almost 40 hours during the week so I said okay what could I do? again asking questions I said well what could I do during this time to 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 utilize this time more effectively because I'm driving anyway so I can kill two birds with one stone so I stopped listening to music started listening to um to uh, education uh languages uh spirituality motivational speeches all, all these sorts of things and it totally changed my perspective. Um, and then I, I thought, well, actually, there's a connection here that maybe not that no one has realized, but maybe no one has noted down because I started reading books and stuff. And I noticed that there was books about spirituality. There was books about physical health. There was books about how to master your psychology and attitude and setting goals and motivating yourself um, and all these separate uh, separate topics. But none that sort of linked everything together. So I sort of tried to find this book and realised that there wasn't one around. So I thought, well, when there is a, uh, when you are looking for something and it's not there, maybe that's your chance to create it. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to spend some time planning the chapters, obviously write the book um, and, and see what happens essentially. So with with ideas, an idea needs to be finished before it started. And what I mean by that is the house that you're sitting in was first designed in the mind of an architect first. It was built and here you are. So I had to design the book in my mind first uh, and then and then wrote it. And the reason I wrote it is because, like I said, it, all these areas are sort of interconnected, interwoven. And if I can benefit from it, I'm a, a strong believer in providing value. So I thought, well, why not provide this value and information to the rest of the world? So they don't have to read eight, ten books. They can actually get most of the information from 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 one source. So so that's that's the reason I sort of wrote the book, really. Yeah, and you did a great job, though. I have to go back to it because you have it's, there's so much information there. It's incredible, and I 
kind of tend to focus on whatever calls my attention in the sense of um, it kind of opens the heart in a way when I see the word or whatever theme and topic. So I'll um, share with you with whatever caught my attention. But before that, I do have another question for you. So you are a transformational coach and financial advisor and retirement planner. So talk to me for a moment about that. Do you actually work as a transformational coach and financial advisor at the same time? Uh, do you integrate those two things or three things? Or you tend to have different clients that you teach different things to them? Yeah, so different clients. And the the, the financial advisory side um, is from, so again, going back to what we talked about earlier, you know, you go through life asking questions. And you know, maybe I was that person who was looking at financial reward, looking at a career that's going to pay well and all these sorts of things. So that's maybe why I went into the financial advisory space. Um, but I sort of self-employed and, and run that um, uh, myself. And I have clients that are 55 and over looking to retire. That's the, the, the primary demographic of those clients. The, this, the transformational coach side is a separate thing altogether. And just down to people who are, are really open to, to this sort of thing, it tends to be the younger side because people who are you know, maybe in their 20s, 30s, even some that are younger than that, that want to try and get themselves in a, in a good mind frame and, and understanding and a little bit like a therapist or counselling to an extent, but instead of a therapist or counsellor that looks backwards and, and says, well, what happened in your childhood, which is why you are, etc. Coaching is very different. It's saying, well, what do you actually want in the future and how can we help you get there? So it's more about forward planning um, as opposed to um, uh, looking backwards let's say, at what's happened to you in your life. It's saying, well, you are where you are, okay, we can't change that now. But what we can do is we can change your programming and activities and routines moving forward that will yield certain results. So if you're after becoming a, a marathon runner, let's say, in, in the next two years, well, what do you need to be doing every day? Do you need to be running every day? Okay, well, what are you doing at the moment? Oh, I'm spending six hours a day watching Netflix. Okay, well, maybe that's not the correct activity in order to get you there. And it's all these sorts of things, really. So in answer to your question, they are completely separate clients um, and they offer completely different things, really. But both in, in terms of maybe a, um, a uh, uh, something that's similar between both of them is that you're helping people to to use what they've got you know transformational coaching it's helping to use what skills you've got and the retirement side is helping people use what assets they've got in order to retire and enjoy the rest of their lives really it's a contradiction isn't it Javon? because when we think about living in the moment which i don't even call the moment anymore but the idea of being here now and then uh, not preoccupied with the future but then we have to kind of plan for the future as well in a way or use the wisdom that we have learned from past experiences. So everything is connected. There's no really disconnect when we look deeper into it. Yeah, I mean, everything is, 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 is you know, that's one thing as humans, we have different to any other species. We do forward plan. You know, the reason you started a podcast or the reason that you're starting a relationship with someone is a future plan. You know, you're looking to get married, you're looking to have kids, you are looking to build a podcast, you are looking to write a book, you know, all these things. So, so yeah, I do think that actions dictate the future. And as we come back to what I said a couple of minutes ago, 
if you're someone who's sitting watching Netflix six hours a day, in six years' time, what are you going to be? You're going to be a sloth, you know, you're probably going to be overweight. <laughs> but if you're someone who, 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 who runs every day, who reads yeah. every day, who, you know, starts business or whatever, yeah. you know, your your actions <laughs> will dictate your future future progression. So, so yes, I understand that living in the moment, but also we do need to have, you know, daily habits, daily routines that are going to yield some results, um, at least uh, desired results, because if they don't, yield those results again we may maybe need to change the, the, the sat nav we maybe need to check, set the sail different on the boat to to achieve a, a slightly different uh, destination you made me laugh with the sloth example <laughs> i'm still kind of laughing at that watching netflix as you said every day just doing things that are mindless in a sense just i don't know um if that's an interesting idea too because looking from the outside perspective is easy to judge people for what they look and, you know, their behavior, their habits. But a lot of times they are not happy themselves, of course, when we see people uh, being unkind to children or doing horrible things like criminal acts. That almost sends us that inevitable kind of way of thinking that they are not in a good place. But in general, I try not to do that, kind of judge people when I see those things, because I have done some street interviews, like in the very beginning, I think before even the podcast, I started interviewing people on the street in New York. And I remember there was um, this, a lot of houses, a lot of buildings, actually. I lived in a building. There's tons of buildings in this boardwalk close by the beach. And there was also a retirement, I think it was not a retirement home, but it was probably a nursery. I think it was, like uh, with old people, lots of old people lived there. And I remember... These old people, they used, used to sit down by the bench and look at the ocean. And then I decided to interview some of them. And I have to say, I got one of the most um, in-depth, wise answers from one of those people. They seem to be like at the end of their lives. And, you know, if you look at them, you would say, oh, it's almost like a homeless person that has no future or nothing. The answers they gave me, the questions that I asked was actually wiser than most people. Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting perspective, right? To have to, not to judge. Yeah, definitely. And the thing is, you don't know what people have gone through. You don't know their story. You know, they might have gone through um, um, things in their childhood. They might have been born with some some ailments. And, you know, you mentioned the old, old people in the, in the nursing home, and that's because, you know, people judge things on face value people say that they don't but they do everyone does that's that's how we have evolved to try and judge things as quickly as possible um with the information that we have to hand but old people have actually seen a lot more than we have and they have gone through the journey that we have and they have got insights that we probably haven't yet realized as yet and they've been through what we are going to go through they've seen things that we haven't seen so a lot of the time, although they may look like they aren't able to walk anymore and not there as much cognitively speaking, they have still got a lot of insights and it's getting past that uh, that visual to, to understand what's inside because we're all going to get there one day. We're going to be someone who is a 60-year-old, 70-year-old, 80-year-old, you know, wandering around, not doing much. But we are still someone who, you know, like we are in this conversation, we're still going to be the person who had this conversation on your podcast many years earlier. 
Um, and I think that's sometimes the issue with people today. You know, you mentioned people are unhappy. And a lot of the time it's because they aren't, as we've talked about, present. But they uh, are doing the seven deadly sins every day. And what I mean by that is that we talked about Netflix and sloth being one. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. There's, 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 seven, there's seven deadly sins. And the, the main apps people use on their phone encourage those seven deadly sins. So obviously Netflix and sloth is one. Uh, Tinder and lust is two. Um, Instagram and pride is three. Facebook and uh, jealousy is four. Uh, gluttony is like Deliveroo, Uber Eats and those sorts of things. Um, there's a couple more that I'm, uh, I think LinkedIn was uh, greed because obviously you're looking for the, you know the best income essentially, um, and I think there's there's one more, um, but I can't think of it at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, gluttony isn't it's, it the one the eating one the, the one that uh, the eating ones them? like you know like Deliveroo or Uber Eats you know the delivering apps. Oh yeah, right. Oh yeah, like, yeah. You, know, you go down there and you see a nice burger. You're like, okay, yes, that's that's great. Um, so 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 they're all of the uh the the apps essentially that people use and they're the main apps that people use so it's like well if you're going to be doing seven deadly sins every every day um you're probably not going to feel that great about yourself which is why they're called the deadly sins whereas if you replace those with the seven virtues you know giving to people um not being lustful um seeing for people for 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 their inner inner soul essentially um you're probably going to have a, a much better time of it because your soul will uh, will thank you for it no question about it. Yes. Yeah. And that's something to be practiced because we can't really only talk about it or ask people to do these things and, and say that that's true. It's, it's an experience. Once we try it, that's an undeniable feeling of uh, fulfillment when we help others, when we are grateful, when we take care of the body in the sense of eating what's necessary, not too much, and, and the foods that will actually benefit the, the organism. And then at the mind, when you talk about all these uh, social media and all that, I think about the mind. That's not really taking care of your mind because uh, whatever you expose the mind to, that's the focus that you're giving attention to it, whatever it is. So it, it just changes everything once we realize and experiment. See, we need to experiment. The problem with the experience Experimenting because it seems like this is an experiment, even to be in the human body, to be just how do we get here in all these experiences we have? Experiences are giving. We have to experience. It's okay to experience. But then it's um it's going deeper into the experience, knowing, kind of being self-aware. What do I feel after I do this? I expose my mind to this, expose my body to this, and and just kind of pay attention. It's very subtle. So it's a lot of work too, because then you have to take in experience and then the result of that experience. And then you have to be very, very good at listening to your own feelings. And most people, they're actually trying to do the opposite, ignore them, especially if they are not negative, right? That they feel heavy. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the body's offer, isn't it? You know, being unselfish, helping others, um, um, receiving graciously as well, um, because you'll never be free until you can assist others. Um, I think that's a real a real thing that people don't understand um, because, you know, people want to take, take, take. But to, to actually receive something, it has to be given from someone else in the first place. So to start the cycle, maybe give something, whether it's a service, whether it's um, food for someone, whatever, um, because things do come back to you. You know, even if you're maybe saying, oh, well, I need something. OK, let's 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 work on the selfish basis. Even if you're doing something for selfish reasons, giving, 
you'll still get things back. Because if you're giving that positive energy, things always come back to you. Um, so, so yeah, obviously don't do it on a, on a selfish basis, of course. But I'm saying even if you're, you know, let's say you are a selfish person, think of it in that way. Because, again, if we change our perspective, maybe you lack differently. So if you if you think, okay, well, yeah, maybe I'll get, you know, the more I give, the more I'll get. If you change your, your programming, maybe you'll become a better person for it. It is about changing that programming. You do, in your book, you do have a, a section about the subconscious. The quotes caught my attention under the, uh, the section of attitude and mentality. So I know you talk about the winner's mentality and how mentality is very important, which means your way of thinking, especially positive thinking. The quotes have so many there. It's amazing, interesting ones. The ones that caught my attention, I, I have to mention, you say, problems only exist in the human mind. That's a powerful one, and to me, very much true. <laughs> and then there's also another one about death. Death smiles at us, and all we can do is smile back. That's another one. And then you said, loss is nothing else but change, and change is nature's delight. You mentioned that earlier in the conversation today. That's interesting that I picked up that one, and you mentioned too about change. But death is a very interesting subject from my point of view. I don't know why, but I'm very interested in the idea of death, but not just death of the body, but death of everything else in the sense of something has to die in order for a new thing to begin. So even changing perspective, there's death involved there. I think that's the, it's probably for me has been the most powerful death has been the sense of identity kind of knowing that I was not the thoughts and that person born from those parents. And it's, that was, it took a lot of time in that sense, um, quote unquote, um, of kind of embracing that truth. And that was the biggest death for me, death of identity. So not being identified with, with this, with the body mind, which is kind uh, of beyond. Yeah. I agree with that definitely and you know we can talk about uh death as, as a as a bad thing but yeah it's like uh it's like dark dark is the absence of light without death you cannot have life so it's an inevitable part of uh of the human experience as you referred to earlier and there's john donahue um i don't know if you know who he is he's like a, a jiu-jitsu coach and he's been on lex fridman's podcast he he said there's two deaths one is the death before you're alive and one is the death after you're alive and I, I sort of posed that question to myself for a while and i sort of disagree with that to an extent because i've actually got a different version of two deaths the first death is obviously your physical death but the second death is when people stop remembering who you are so if you're john smith and you've not really had an impact on the world. And as soon as your kids die, or maybe your, your grandkids die, you're no one anymore. You're not. You're not really still around. But if you're someone like Jesus, or you know Muhammad Ali, the boxer, or anyone else you care to mention um, that has left a, a lasting, uh, a, a lasting uh, ethos or uh, perspective, yeah, they're still alive today. You know, you can still read their works. Marcus Aurelius is still alive today. So I feel that in order to to extend or keep yourself from a second death is to leave a legacy of some of some kind. And that again comes back to one of the things why you here. The bigger imprint you can leave leaves us some. You know, like when you see footprints in cement, 
and they stay there forever or until they're cemented over. Same thing. If you can leave a, a strong enough footprint, you you won't ever die in, in, in the eyes of uh, humanity. Um, and I think that's a really uh, interesting concept to, to try and um, understand. Um, to come back to one of your other points was, you know, every problem is a solution um, or, you know, um, about problems, the quote. You know, it's, it's like when I wrote my book. Um, uh, if if I looked at, okay, which book has got all of these different areas in one, that's a problem, isn't it? But I looked at it as a solution. Okay, well, I can offer a solution to that problem. So it's not what happens, it's how you look at things that's important. Oh, the problem is that, you know, I can't get a girlfriend because I'm fat and overweight. Okay, that's a problem. But what's the solution? Why not focus the attention on, okay, well, if I was fit and healthy and good looking and, um, and and could speak well and took care of my hygiene and earned a good living and love what I do and could communicate effectively and could uh, understand psychology and all these other vast array of things, that would maybe solve the problem. So, yes, you know, problems, we do have to establish them in some respects, but we should then change the focus to how we're going to solve the problem. As opposed to continuing to focus on the, the sort of problem itself. Because whatever we focus on just makes, we are making it bigger, whatever it is, just persists, right? It's the same idea of uh, resistance, of trying to push something away. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, I love that quote. But I, I love the section on spirituality too, that there's so much to talk about there. I love the laws of harmony, karma, unconditional love, divine order, uh, resistance, which is exactly what I just mentioned about. You say there in the book, whatever you resist, you draw closer to you. And then vibrational energy, gratitude, and so much more. There are so many themes, interesting, that we can just, um, it's endless conversations we can have about this. And I would love to meet you again, of course. Uh, you talk about power, which I, I had a question here for you. But I'll ask you my ending questions for now. And then let's see if we can summarize our conversation for today. And a note, I want to actually end this episode differently. I don't think I have ever done this before, which is interesting, Javon, <laughs> that you are inspiring me to think in a different way for what I'm doing now. So my ending questions, the first one is about success, but then I have another one and then a technical question. So three questions. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? Um, well, I think that success from a, uh, a society standpoint is, you know, having loads of girls and, and driving a Lamborghini, having loads of money in the bank. I don't see that as, as success. I see success as you going out with an objective and you achieving that objective. Now, it's up to you what objective you're setting and how big that objective is and how big you want to dream. And along the way, there may be many failures in there. But so long as you're on your way to that destination, I would class that as a success. So as an example, let's say that you want to, just because of, I've done this in the past, let's say you wanted to be a financial advisor, okay? And you have to undertake many exams. You might fail the exams along the way. You might pass a few, but you are successful in respect of you are undertaking the plan that you've set for yourself. So I think that that's a, a, the definition of success for me because, you know, you can look at, as I said, the, the stereotypical Dambles area lifestyle, loads of women, money, gambling, all this sort of stuff. But if that's not what you want, you want instead a, a loving family, um, a, a loyal wife, kids that, that love and adore you, that that do what they want in terms of uh not in terms of like messing around but in terms of a vocation 
that's a success for you because that's what you want. So I think it's good to establish what we want and then live into that expectation because that is then a success. Because if you want a family, but you end up with the Dan Bulzerian lifestyle, that's not a success for me because it's not what you wanted. So so I think that that's really um, a definition of success that resonates uh, with me. Yeah, and with me too. Yeah, it, it's one that very much makes sense. Thank you for saying that. That's beautiful to see human beings going deeper. So I really appreciate your presence in this reality. So another question, the second question is a question in itself. <laughs> what is one question that you have been asking yourself these days? And another one is what question do you wish everyone to ask themselves at least once in their, in their lifetime? Okay, so the question that I ask myself at the moment is how can I provide more value to the world that will, as we said, help me leave a lasting legacy? Um, and that's not from a selfish perspective because, yes, it's nice to have your name resonated throughout history, but it's more to do with the life that you can help because if you are someone like, again, we're just going to use a, a, a very household name, Jesus, yeah, because he's probably the most well-known person in history. Um, it's the, the reason that his name still resonates is because of how many people he's, he's helped. So, again, we talked about, um, you know, giving and receiving. So you have to give something to actually receive that reputation. Um, and I'm trying to think to myself, OK, I've written one book. I'm writing a second book as well. And that one is a question book, actually, that, mm, you, yeah. you know, it's a predetermined question. So, you know, first question might be, well, in three to five years, where do you want to be? And then you answer uh, what that's going to look like with some input from myself as well. So I think that, yeah, that's that would be for me. Um, the question I've been sort of asking myself is how can I provide more value and leave a, a lasting legacy? In terms of the question for the audience, um it's really a two-parter one is that well what is my true potential what is if i if i could see my ideal self fit strong healthy amazing speaker amazing listener um you know someone who can actually get things done without procrastinating or be really spiritual and understanding and empathetic all these perfect idealistic uh traits what would your true potential look like what would your ideal self look like the second is what's my uh, ikigai or purpose? I don't know if you're familiar with ikigai, but it's basically where your passion is purpose. Um, so what are you passionate about? Sorry, passion and ability. So what what is your passion and do you have an ability in it? And does the world need that? Because if all those three things are correct, you're going to find success in that endeavor. Because if you're good at playing football, but you hate it, you're probably not going to get to the heights of someone who is good but loves it. And on the flip side, if you're if you love something, um, but you aren't good at it, you're you've got a ceiling there, haven't you? You've got somewhere that you can never get beyond um, because you don't have the ability to do so. And yes, we can. You could say to that, well, actually, I think even you've got a limiting belief there in terms of you, you know your ceiling. You're not putting your ceiling high enough. But I would come back to you and say this. Usain Bolt, fastest man in the world. I could believe that I would be the fastest sprinter in the world, but I don't have the physical attributes in order to achieve that. So there has to be an element of realism there because there is a fine line between uh, um, delusion and 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 having faith and belief in yourself. So I think that there's an, a crossover there that's impossible to 
to draw a line on. It's that grey area that only you know. Um, so I would, yeah, that's the sort of questions I'd be asking myself. Um, so that again, we can we can bring value to the world. Yes, wonderful. Thank you so much, Javon. I love the way you tend to go deeper into this questioning patterns and and understanding of self and the world and of course relationships, the interconnectedness of it all. Which that's really the message to me when you speak of helping others and even the question or doing what you're doing now, which it is helping others. So that just kind of. Um, it resonates, translates into interconnectedness, oneness. I know it sounds like a spiritual cliche and wage and all that, but it's really what it is that most of yeah. us ignore. But, you know, you see, intuitively, you know that and so many of us. Helping others will make us happy for a reason, because we're all connected. Yeah, yeah just, just on that uh, very quickly. It's like, for example, this is how you know that everyone is in- interconnected to an extent. How many times have you ever had an idea, like a, a business idea or an idea of any sort, and a few days later you see it in the news, or you see, you know, someone else start the business that you were thinking of, or you see someone else saying the exact same words that you had in your head a week prior, and what does that show? Does it show that there is uh, the universe is saying these things out loud, and it's up to us to interpret them and act as quickly as possible? Um, so that to me shows that there is an element of of, of oneness. And the second version of that is if we walk into a room, we can feel the environment in that room. Is it a friendly environment? Is it a formal environment? Um, is it someone's there's been a funeral and and, and and you can feel that that essence? And that just shows that we can pick things up a lot more than we give ourselves credit for. Right. Yeah, that's it. It's that intuition. It's there. It's the the underlying reality, right, of oneness, of of connectivity, which is not really the mind. I know a lot of us tend to kind of put together those two consciousness and mind, but they are different. They're not the same. It's like consciousness gives light to to thoughts, to mind, but it's not really the mind. It's a reflection of it. It's interesting how we have kind of been educated in a way to, to think that we are the mind and everything is the mind. I want to thank you again for your presence. Thank you so much for doing what you're doing and um, especially going deeper into your own self to ask those questions and beautifully help others from, from that place. And my last question is the ending question, technicalities before we say goodbye. What's the best place to find more about you, to read more about you and contact you, Javon? Um, so there's probably a number of avenues, really. Obviously, the book, as you mentioned, Become a Person of Value, although that's not in contact with me directly, you know, the, to read the book of an author is to have some sort of connection with that person in terms of their thought process. So that's probably a good place to start. In terms of the coaching, if you want to reach out, um, Vanquish Transformational Coaching, um, obviously, we'll probably leave the links in, in the in the description. Um, if you want to have a, a free initial consultation anyway to see if we're even on the same page, that's probably a, a, a second good place to start. And third, I've started my own podcast as well, Van, uh, Vanquish, uh, the Vanquish podcast. Um, so again, if you want to sort of listen to some of the guests I've got on and, and discussions, that's probably the third best place to, to get in contact or, as I said, to have an experience. Yes, wonderful. Thank you so much again and we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Jivan Matharu and his work, please visit vanquish-transformational-coaching.com. Thank you.
more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.